With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. So let's uh, talk that and a whole lot more of cricket as well and uh, get joined by Paul Dennett. He's an award-winning uh, cricket podcaster as part of Cricket Daily and also Cricket Unfiltered, and he joins us on the Overnight Crowd. G'day to you, Paul. Hey, Hita, how you going, mate? Yeah, good, thank you, mate. So we'll get to those comments from Moises on Riggs and the Steve Smith situation around Big Bash League later, but uh, the men's ashes uh, now becoming a bit of a distant memory following the conclusion of the Hobart Test. Australia got the 4-0 series win, but the unravelling of England continued as well. The appearance of the Tasmanian police are what looked to be a uh, private wrap-up uh, wrap ashes party, and now there's talks of uh, jobs being lost as well. Yep, um, I think it's the shortest ashes ever in terms of... Um... <laughs> <laughs> from uh, from day one to the end. And that uh, also factors into account how few days there were between the matches. So, yeah, for those of us who look forward to it so so massively, it's, it comes and goes very, very quickly. And it was a bizarre scene at the end, seeing the police turn up and apparently um, Thorpe, the coach of uh, the batting coach, having a cigar indoors and refusing to, to put it out. And, yes, I mean, there's <laughs> plenty of... Um, emblematic moments for, for the tour for England, but seeing poor old Joe Root there looking like he's having a quiet beer at six in the morning and he's white to the, the police. And then apparently it was Thorpe who was filming it as well. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit curious. But yeah, jobs, I mean, I think jobs have to go. Um, you know, you, you struggle to think of anyone who should sort of um, survive in the in the English coaching setup there. And, and, and Joe Root, I think that, um, you know, he's... He's someone who's probably may well survive as captain um, and probably shouldn't because I don't think he's the most inspiring uh, captain that England have. But you look around and there's no one else in their side that's really guaranteed a spot in the side. Um, so it's a bit tough. In the past, they've um, sometimes parachuted people in from outside the, the lineup. Memorably, back in the day, they brought in Mike Greeley to kind of um, tame Ian Botham. That worked really well. But whether they'd bring in someone like Owen Morgan from the one day side, I think that's a bit crazy. So um, maybe Ruth's job is secure. The timing um, of uh, the yarn that came out around the video, um, Graham shooting the video, the cigar and everything like that, wasn't ideal timing um, with the story of the fat shaming and the heavy drinking culture around this England squad that was on tour in Australia. That came out earlier in the day and then the video was released a little bit later. Um, yeah, the definition of not ideal. Well, it's 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 been the um, the situation on so many tours where, towards the end, um, for, for England in Australia, the wheels just start to fall off. And um, you know, 2013-14, where players started to retire and um, mid-season, and then there was the whole Kevin Peterson thing, and um, it, it's just been something that basically my whole life of watching cricket when when England come down here. The, the statistic that was most amazing was that. Had England somehow managed to win that Hobart Test match, it would have been their equal second best Ashes performance in yes. Australia um, <laughs> since 1990. Uh, for the 30, 30 plus years, a 3-1 defeat is the second best that they've done. I mean, they beat Australia in 2010-11, and that is more and more looking like the biggest outlier of all time. 
And prior to that, they hadn't won and hadn't looked like winning since 1986-87 when Elton John was the babysitter for Ian Botham on the tour. It's literally, he was babysitting his kids on the tour. Um, that's, how, that's how long ago it was. And um, yeah, they got belted every other time. And so um, you just wonder in four years' time, how are things going to be different for England? And um, until they somehow find a way to make cricket a much more mainstream sport over there and get the, their best and talent, most talented playing it, then you know, I don't, I'm not so, not so sure the future is all that bright for English cricket. Yeah, there with the um, you know the, the the focus on the white ball stuff. Uh, do you think it's you know cost them? Uh, is it possible to put yourselves back a decade in you know red ball cricket or something like that? Do you, do you put it down to anything around those sorts of issues that the focus that they had on the white ball, or do you buy more into the private school versus public school sort of conversation that went on a bit as well? Yeah, I think that the the white ball thing that they certainly did focus on that, but they but they needed to. I mean, gosh, the the um the, the focus had never been on the white ball prior to that, and the way that they got knocked out of the 2015 uh, World Cup, and it was like they were playing cricket from 20 years before, and so they they kind of needed to focus on it. And um, you could argue that maybe at times in recent months they have made selection decisions that have been puzzling for the Test side, sending players home on resting and and various things like that. That probably didn't help. But, you know, I do think that that whole, the public school, private school sort of thing is, is significant. That the, the notion that if you're a talented kid uh, in Australia, then there's every chance that you're going to be exposed to cricket. And if you're any good at it, then you'll keep on playing it. Whereas loads and loads of talented kids in, in England just w- would never even, um, never even play the game in any way, shape or form. And even if they did have a bit of a, um, a knock around, then the structure's not really there for them to play it much much more than that. I mean, back in the day, Gary Neville and Phil Neville, who ended up obviously having wonderful careers for Manchester United, were, were really good cricketers and probably could have played, certainly with Phil Neville, probably could have played first-class cricket, but they chose football. Wow. These days, they wouldn't even have the choice. It would just be natural that cricket wouldn't be on the radar. That's interesting. Uh, on the Aussie side of things, we're uh, still waiting to find out if Justin Langer will be extended as coach. He's uh, been getting in front with a couple of more interviews this week. He's uh, also been backed in by Ricky Ponting, who's one of the men that uh, some people are thinking could be in the frame for the job as well. Uh, has the heat turned up this week, do you think, with uh, Justin doing some more interviews? I think so. And I think it's an intriguing situation. That uh, I remember before the World Cup, um, people sort of saying, look, He's, you know, he's finished. There's no way that he can uh, continue. And then sometimes people would say, well, I suppose if we won the World Cup and then let's just imagine <laughs> that we had an amazing Ashes series, theoretically, um, maybe he could continue. But it just seemed <laughs> so far from, from what was going to happen. So you've got to give him credit um, that the last few months have been a spectacular success for Australian cricket. It does seem as though he has evolved and has um, delegated more and has been... Um, less intense uh, with the players, although winning will, will, will enable that as well. I, I think it really does come down to how the players are feeling, that there's been, you know, probably mixed messages. There's been opportunities sometimes for them to come out really backing him in the media, and they haven't. More recently, Pat Cummins has spoken uh, glowingly about him, but it is a tough job, and to do it for four years is, is massive. To then extend it beyond that, you look at some of the ones in the past of, who'd had real success, of Bob Simpson and John Buchanan, uh, and even Darren Lehman initially was very, very successful in the in the role, and you sort of think they probably stayed in there too long. So, should we continue with him? Uh, and if we do, should it be just as um, say Red Bull coach? Should they should they split the roles? 
it's it's shaping as a fairly sizable decision over over the coming uh, weeks and months. Yeah, they're certainly uh, experiencing a big bit of change at the moment, and I think um, even seeing the different players that got roles in the Ashes series has seen a bit of a change. Uh, even though that was out of their hands, uh, Cricket Australia and the selectors, with you know the COVID um, close contact of Pat Cummins, and then also Travis Head being out of the series, we got to see the depth. Um, on offer from the Australian side, which isn't something I think we would have seen across other series. We would have sort of sticked and picked a little bit, but we've had that sort of change. So I do think that, I, I did think for a while that the opportunity to have coaches for the specific elements of cricket would never be an idea on the Australian landscape, but it feels like we are getting closer to that. It does, and certainly a possibility that I, I could see them saying, look, Trevor Bayliss had enormous success when he was coach of England with the white ball, with the white ball team, as, as we discussed, that they could put him in charge of the Australian um, white ball teams and, and go from there. And, and whether they make um, Langer the test coach or Andrew McDonald, they go from a, a full split. Um, you know, I, I think that the argument is that, especially with T20, it's so different from test cricket and the... the um, and also that the the demands on your time. I mean, it must be something daunting to be the coach of Australia, knowing that you've basically got what in pre-COVID times, especially 300 days of the year where you're not going to be at home, and that's probably fine for a little while, but it does start to, to wear you down. And when you look at some of these tours that are of lesser importance, and you feel like you really should still go on them, but you need a bit of time away. If they split the, if they split it up, then it just takes that workload, dials that workload down just a little bit. The series versus New Zealand for the one days, uh, we had a feeling that it wasn't going to be able to go ahead as planned uh, with border problems in WA before the re-announcement of uh, last night. There's also issues with New Zealand getting back home to New Zealand. So the upcoming one day series is now postponed for the third time, I believe, as well. Yeah, it's, um, it's quite amazing. I mean, it's not directly related to this because the MCG wasn't going to be hosting one anyway, but it's just ticked over three years since the MCG has hosted a men's one day international, which is just extraordinary wow. given that how for so many years, you know, MCG was hosting multiple one days and they were the, yeah. the, 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 the king of the summer. And now it's, um, things are very, very different. And I think this, this kind of makes sense that not only the, the New Zealand players would have had to quarantine for 10 days upon returning to New Zealand, there's also, I think, quite a, um, there aren't that many slots available for quarantine over there. So they could have actually faced the prospect of uh, finding it difficult to even get back home at all. They did, I believe, raise the question of saying, could we switch the... There's, there's, there's um, um, three matches in New Zealand that are scheduled uh, following this. They're trying to switch them to Australia so that it then could have been a longer tour of Australia, get those matches done and, and dusted, and then hopefully maybe they're thinking by then the COVID situation might have settled down a bit, but the New Zealand government couldn't give them any assurances. So I think... I think it was the right thing. You don't really want to be in a um, a ten day quarantine um, for for a three uh, for for a four match series yeah. uh, in Australia. So yeah, with it the, sense. with the, um, the sort of second string squad that New Zealand were planning to send over as well, I think we've uh, probably got the best uh, of both worlds uh, now with uh, the postponement. Yeah, absolutely. That's another point that that would have been yet another white ball series that didn't have the the, the strongest teams mm. on offer, and um, you know, hopefully at some stage. Um, these series can go ahead because I think it is important that we develop that relationship with New Zealand that they're, they're our next door neighbour we've treated them shamefully as far as cricket is concerned over the years with um, um, you know, memorably when we first had the um, one day competition in Australia we had New Zealand competing as part of our as if they were a state of Australia so mm. they had that 
for a couple of years back, back in the day. So that's the level we've sort of given them of respect. And they they deserve more than that now. They're, um, they deserve more than that then. <laughs> we, we really, we should piggyback off the, relation, the, the rivalry we've got with them and make it something that's much more set in stone in the calendar. These last couple of years, yeah, just crazy times. Yeah, and because of those crazy times, I think it's hard for this um, sort of conclusion I've come to, but the perception around the place um, for teams and countries like Australia that all series bar India and England are less important. And, uh, you know, since the pandemic, uh, respectfully, they've postponed series versus New Zealand, Bangladesh, Zimbabwe, West Indies, Afghanistan and South Africa. Is there anything in that? Well, I think to a degree there there has to be, but I, I... Um, I can see both sides of it. I think that, yeah. for example, when they when they cancelled the tour of South Africa, that cops they they got a lot of criticism out of South Africa, which I totally understand. But I also, at the time, as an employer, which Cricket Australia is, I think they made the right decision. That the situation in South Africa was such that they, they would have been putting their employees in. Uh, you know, if, if if something went wrong, then the, presumably there'd be some legal bills that have had to, to foot. Um, and this time, I suppose it's actually New Zealand that's that's pulled the plug. But there's no secret of the fact that um, when uh, India tour Australia or uh, and when England tour Australia, that's when Cricket Australia makes its money. I think they they basically run at a loss for for the rest of the time, and it's those two that really um, earn them the money. And um, so, to a degree, you can't blame them for for looking after themselves financially either. The postponement or the uh, cancellation of the series uh, started up uh, some chat about a very sweet childhood memory of mine, the fantastic Australia versus Australia A clashes we used to see. It was a great amount of banter going on around it. Oh, that was um, that was such a wonderful summer, that, that, that summer of um, 1994, 95. Yeah. Um, and I was cheering on Australia A, as, as I think the rest yeah, of the country was I think as well. So. Yeah. It helped. <laughs> It helped because we had such a great crop of players that, you know, Bevan and Blewett and Gilchrist and Ponting and uh, Hayden was in the side as mm. well. And there was that memorable clash where Hayden and McGrath so, yeah. almost um, <laughs> sort of fired up. And and um, and then, then then it was, um, I remember I went to the SCG where Australia A played England and they had to, um, uh, it was the winner of that game was going to, to go into the finals. And I think Australia A not only had to win, they had to win it by a, a, sufficient, a sufficient margin. And they did. Uh, England fell two runs short of the target they needed to, to beat Australia. Right? And the, the, the memorable headline in the um, English English papers was something like, you know, too young, too fast, two runs. And it was, <laughs> yep, Australia's that good that uh, <laughs> the two Australian sides will meet in the finals. And Australia won in two pretty close games. Um, so, yeah, they were, they were very fond memories. So we'll move our attention to some uh, Wash's cricket. Uh, match one in the books, the Aussies dominant. And after a pretty handy, uh, handy batting performance from England, four for 169, uh, but Tali McGrath uh, pretty much wanted to do it herself. Yeah, I mean, she has been so impressive this season. I watched uh, quite a bit of her batting against India earlier on and um she was magnificent in when, when Australia chased down at 274, with, looking like they had no chance of winning. And yeah, at the innings break um, last night, uh, the, the the consensus was that Australia was struggling; that they were definitely the underdog. So for them to to come out and absolutely cruise to a nine wicket win um, just shows the, the the absolute star power that they've got. And I mean, England did play well early on; they were they were going along at eight and nine and over in those early overs and looked like they were going to be a real threat. So, 
yep, um, a, a wonderful start to the Ashes and more pain and misery for the English. <laughs> I feel like it sounds like a bit of a dumb question, but Elise Perry, such a known quality, um, but the performance of players uh, like uh, Talia McGrath um, make it seem like, uh, does Elise Perry still have a role to play within this team? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, she's certainly got a role to play in the test side and in the 50-over side. Okay. Um, I think in terms of the, the T20 side, um, that's you know the jury's out there. And um, the, the fact of the matter is that in the last couple of years that she's still been scoring runs in the, um, the WBBL, it's just that the strike rate hasn't been there and that the game has evolved. Uh, that five years ago where you could probably still have a player that was getting that 50 off 50 balls was an important thing. Now... You kind of need um, power hitting from both ends. So it'll be a, it's, it's a challenge for her. Um, it's going to be interesting to see um, how she responds to it. And it may be something that frees her up as well. So think, okay, well, they've said I've got to be more aggressive and um, I'll give them what, I, what they want and go out there and play with utter freedom. And I've seen it with players before that when they, when they do that, they, um, they surprise themselves with how successful they could be. Uh, it also hasn't helped, I think, that she's had some injuries, which has... Um, uh, put a, a little bit of um, made her bowling not quite the, the, the potent threat that it once was as well. But um, it wouldn't at all surprise me if she if she doesn't if she ret- if she did return to the T Twenty side at some point in the future. A pretty epic performance from the Australian A girls uh, today as well. You don't see too many ten wicket wins in T Twenties when the score to chase is one hundred and fifty. But Villani and Redmayne did it with the bat, and after Amanda Jade Wellington did it with the ball, uh, she took two for twenty two. Yeah, I mean, again, it just highlights the strength and the depth <laughs> of the side. That I mean. Amanda Jade Wellington, really, really, she's such a good bowler. It's incredible that she's not um, playing in the in the top side. And poor old Perry was not listed at number three. I think she was thinking, oh, "I'll get a hit." Maybe, she, maybe she's planning to show everyone what she could do um, with the new the newfound attitude today. But um, didn't get a chance to with the with the ten wicket win. So, um, yeah, um, as we were saying before, maybe we should get an Australia A side um, <laughs> to the Ashes as well. <laughs> to the Big Bash League. Uh, tonight we saw the Eliminator final. The Strikers uh, eliminating the Hurricanes uh, to keep their nice run of form going. They move on through to take on the Sydney Thunder on Sunday now. It's been an opportune time for Alex Carey to return and uh, he blasted some runs tonight, but the veteran Peter Siddle just keeps on delivering across this tournament. Yeah, he certainly does. And he's been, um, the last few years, every time I look yeah. at the Adelaide Strikers and see his, his name on the team sheet, and I think they're going to be very hard to beat and he, he, he rarely disappoints. Um, but yeah, it was pretty exciting seeing um, Alex Carey back there. Uh, him and Matthew Short, absolutely, absolutely dominant. Um, as always, is um, the case. Ricky Ponting and commentary uh, very astute to listen to, and he was um, didn't spare his home team um, much criticism. Is quite uh, quite critical of their tactics, especially the fact that um, when they were really struggling, but they still had a faint chance of, of winning. Uh, they sent in Peter Hanscom. Um, when they needed, they probably needed about 12 runs and over at the time. And they have Tim David, um, who's sitting in the sheds, who has is one of the most destructive T20 <laughs> players in the world. By the time he came in, he scored 21 off 11. And for, for a brief moment, he had a couple of um, sixes. And I thought for a brief moment, maybe something special was going to happen. But it was uh, a little bit too little too late. So, yeah, the, the Hurricanes have had a disastrous last two games. They're getting absolutely mutilated by Glenn Maxwell. Um, and then um, bowing out um, tonight. So a season that promised a bit um, has ended in a whimper. Well, I was going to say, what were your thoughts around Glenn Maxwell's innings the other night, uh, breaking records personally and also as part of the team as the Melbourne Stars just put on uh, one of the all-time totals? I loved it. I mean, I've, I actually went back and um, looked through all the, the tweets I'd said in the past saying, <laughs> give, give Glenn Maxwell a chance to open. You know, he's the most destructive player when he's only got two out. Um, 
he bats brilliantly when he has to come out and there are five out. But if, if you only have two out and he gets an opportunity to play some of those shots and his mishits will fall safely, then I just think that he's, the, he's the, the best player just about in any side that he's in. So why not give him as many overs as possible? So uh, I didn't quite expect he'd get that many. Um, but um, yeah, and I, the other thing I really like about it is that it's once again reignited this um, discussion of should he get back into the Australian side? And I'd, I'd love to see him in the test side I'm talking about on. Yeah. With the tours to the subcontinent coming up, um, I'd just love to see him get an opportunity. Uh, and even, I think it was, um, it might have even been Chris Rogers actually suggested that maybe he should open the batting in the in the test side in the in the subcontinent, which is something I've been saying as well, but I, I thought I was the only person crazy enough to say that. So that for, for someone else to actually join in on that, it's... Um, it's quite nice. Well, it's yourself, Chris Rogers, and Justin from Coburg, who's a caller on the overnight crowd because he's been sending letters to Cricket Australia. Uh, he's on a bit of a uh, you know stay up uh, sort of uh, hold out until they do install the man in the uh, Australian Test team. So there's three of you guys. Uh, you can officially call yourselves a gang now. Absolutely, Justin. Um, keep on going. <laughs> um, you know it's 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 ridiculous that we're going to have this. Uh, player as good as Glenn Maxwell, who, and I keep on saying this, as things stand, he's going to finish his career never having played a test match on home soil. And I just think that is uh, a crying shame. And for people who say, oh, he's not really a test player, his, his first-class batting average is about 40. And that's for a player who very rarely gets to play much Sheffield Shield. And um, you know he's done some amazing things in Sheffield Shield as well. So I just think that, um, yeah, give him a chance, certainly on these upcoming tours of, of the subcontinent, where he's already got a test century in India, um, he's a handy bowler. He's a wonderful fielder. Um, so yeah, let's um, let's keep the momentum going, Justin. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's do it. Uh, before we turn our attention to the Scorchers v uh, Sixers match uh, coming up on Saturday afternoon, the Brisbane Heat are uh, looking like they're uh, set for a bit of a rebuild. Uh, the captain Jimmy Pearson coming out and saying there's going to be hard questions that need to be asked. And Chris Lynn is one of those players that's off contract. Uh, can you see the Heat parting ways with Chris Lynn? Yeah, I think it's certainly possible. And um, you know. It's it's for so many years he was kind of when he used to happen with McCullum that was kind of the the, the must watch moment of the Big Bash that when those two would would bat together it was absolutely brilliant um, and I, I still think he's got a lot to offer but it might be the right time for him to uh, for, for him and the Heat to part ways and they might both might both benefit from it and mm. he might appreciate um, new scenery elsewhere and yeah the Heat yeah they've they've, they've underperformed um, for for a couple of years now and I, I think that. When, when that happens, you do have to ask tough questions. The Scorchers versus Sixers is on Saturday afternoon. That will determine who goes straight through to the final. Uh, the two dominant teams all year. And uh, we've got ourselves a matchup that belies the quality of the qualifier final. Yeah, it's fantastic. And um, even without Steve Smith, um, it's <laughs> going to be um, a wonderful game. And, um, you know, the, the home, home final, home ground advantage, uh, in a manner of speaking, uh, it's up for grabs. <laughs> it is at least for Sydney. Um, so, it, you know, it's a, it's a pretty big game for, for for Sydney to win to be able to host the, the final at the SCG, and it's a big game for Perth to win to prevent the um, Sixers from hosting the the final at the SCG, even though they won't be able to, uh, won't be able to host it in Perth. Um, but yeah, you just look at the the, the two potential starting 11s, and the, there's no um, there's no doubt whatsoever that these are the two best teams in the tournament by. By quite a margin. I mean, the strikers um, were pretty impressive tonight, but I think that the, most people think that the winner is going to come from either Perth or Sydney. What's your thoughts on the other teams turning down Steve Smith to return to the competition uh, following the postponement of the New Zealand series, which uh, saw him freed up for the opportunity? Good move, bad move? 
I think it should have been Cricket Australia who should have said to the other sides, look, we understand that you know, you're within your rights to turn him down, mm. but we're going to turn you down and we're going to say um, that the, the Big Bash is it's struggling this year. And for many reasons, it's struggling is, 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 is because of COVID. So, you know, it's not its own fault that so many things that have been made difficult, they've had to scramble and they've done well. Um, so who knows where it really where it really lies? But I think there's no doubt that it has lost some of its luster from four years ago, and that not all of that can be um, ascribed to COVID. On the group chat tonight with my friends, they weren't talking about the the Big Bash. They were talking about the Nadal game, and they're talking about the Australian Open. And tomorrow night, I don't think that those same friends of mine who are who are cricket fans, I think they'll be watching the tennis and not um, the Sixers against. Um, Perth, and if mm. if Steve Smith was playing, then they might be more likely to do so. And you know what what, what the difference might be: fifty thousand, hundred thousand people extra watching to see Steve Smith, whatever it would be. I, I think that's what they should have done. And they and if the competition had been absolutely pristine and um, pure, then maybe that's one thing. But when there's been uh, all manner of changes have occurred because of COVID. I think Cricket Australia would have been right to say, okay, guys, listen, um, he really is a Sydney Sixers player. I don't know why they hadn't um, signed him up because they, you know, it was a, uh, would have been a, a contingency worth looking into just in case something like this happened, but they didn't. But he, he's associated with the Sydney Sixers. He's playing and we're going to make the rules change to, to do so. And I think that's, that would have been the right thing. And I completely agree with Moses Enriquez and others who've expressed that. Mm, I think, uh, yeah, I've got a foot in either camp on that one, unfortunately. Uh, we'll move to the Under-19s World Cup. Uh, Australia currently second on the table of uh, table D. They've only dropped a match to Sri Lanka so far. There's been some great runs and performances as well from the young Aussies. Uh, Teague Wiley, uh, he's a great tournament so far. 101 versus Scotland, 86 in the first match. Uh, we've seen some great runs from Campbell Calloway and Aidan Cahill as well. It feels like the future's safe, Paul. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, you never really know because the, the, these tournaments have... Um, We've got Umuk Chand from um, uh, India who was who lit up the tournament 10 years ago and has um, just made his debut in the Big Bash and has gone via the United States and sort of never really lived up to his promise. So you never really know until they until they reach the top level. But but certainly Teague Wiley does look like a um, a very promising player. Um, Nivathan Radhakrishnan, the um, young yeah. bowler who was born in India, now lives in um, Tasmania via Sydney. And the first thing everyone says, <laughs> for good reason when they talk about him, is that he bowls with... Um, both right hand and left hand and that is quite amazing but when you get beyond that and just actually look at the quality of his bowling he's more than just a novelty player like some of the um, one of the wickets he got against the West Indies he was bowling with his right hand it was uh, the, the drift and the, the flight and then the vicious turn was um, was really impressive to, to see um, he, he looks to bowl just as well with his left hand he can bat um, he's a confident intelligent young guy um, and yeah as I said you never know uh, where these players are going to go, but if you had to predict, um, you'd look at thing at the GC. You know, the Australian side could certainly do with someone of his quality <laughs> in years to come. Um, and I think the concerning thing has been that so many of the wickets that we've lost have been to spin bowling. And you sort of look at it and think, this is exactly what I'm used to seeing from the from the national side that they struggle against high quality spin bowling um, on pitches that are conducive to it. So it's going to be. Interesting to see how the, the, the senior side go this year with all the tours of the subcontinent ahead. But um, you can certainly see that the, the, the youngsters are following in the, in the senior footsteps where they're, they're struggling against, um, against the spin. And uh, it's going to be, I think the match is starting just about as we speak between West Indies and Sri Lanka. That um, The result of that is going to determine whether or not Australia make it into the quarterfinals. That if Sri Lanka win, we're through. And if the West Indies win uh, well, we're through. But if the West Indies win in a narrow result, 
their net run rate might see us squeezed out, which would be very disappointing. You know, yeah. nation of our pedigree really should be making the quarterfinals. And uh, just finally, Paul, South Africa versus India, they're into their one days at the moment. Uh, South Africa took the first one out after a bit of a collapse by the Indian batting lineup. Uh, India have set uh, 288 today. Virat Kohli out for a duck. Uh, he's not having the greatest time of things. And South Africa, for the moment, making a pretty good fist to the run chase. They're none for 60 inside 10 overs. Yeah, and the precipice of a very impressive um, double. That, double, that, yeah. That series um, yep. against expectations. And if they if they win this tonight, then they'll have taken the... 2-0 lead and unassailable lead in a best-of-three series. So, um, yeah, as we keep on saying, South Africa keep on reinventing themselves and it's um, it's particularly impressive to see. Um, Rusty van der Dusen scoring 129 not out of 96 was the eye-catching performance in that first game. Um, he's a really um, a really fine player. Now, I think India didn't actually bat too badly. They um, uh, shuttled Tucker right down the bottom, cracked 50 not out to give them some hope, but... Um, 296 proved to be too much, so it's going to be interesting to see if they can um, if they can clinch the series tonight, the South Africans. Well, we'll uh, keep on watching. And Paul, thank you so much for the time and expertise as always, mate. We'll uh, catch up soon on the Overnight Crowd. Great stuff, Peter. Thanks, mate. That is Paul Dennett. He is a, a award-winning cricket podcaster as part of Cricket Daily and also Cricket Unfiltered, and that was him joining us on the Overnight Crowd. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.